Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are the Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Brendan, my dear friend, how are you? Oh, look, you know, with all the challenges, realistically great uh, new kitten to play with, uh, new wow. goats, you know, bottle feeding lovelies. I just, you know, <laughs> I've got to say, I'm really enjoying sitting down and just sometimes having a moment with the animals. Although Gosh. Artemis is a little jealous right now. Uh, she's actually taken that when I sit down and the little goat comes running over for her bottle, um, Artemis will come in and literally sit down and try and get between me and the goat. And then if I still don't pay her enough attention, she'll try and butt the bottle out of the goat's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to go with a bit of pulsatilla so, or something there. She's got a gentle type, isn't she? Where, where, are you going yeah. to go there with something? Oh, I don't know whether I need to. She's lovely. Okay. She's, you know, she's not, not you know, she's, uh, I think uh, it's just when you've got all of these animals competing for your space and, you know, sometimes you've just got to learn to distribute it a little bit more. You take it away. You talk about your week, Nick. So uh, it's been it's been super, super busy, but we did have the, the show, the Slaughterford Fair this weekend. And we had a, uh, a, a dog show, and I compared the dog show. And sometimes there's been six and a half people watching this dog show, and it's still be really miserable, and people are with, with um, umbrellas, and, oh, it's just, you know, a bit not good. But we had really beautiful sunshine, and we must have had, we, we must have had three or four hundred people at the show, of which... Probably a hundred watched the watch me perform doing six classes from the most beautiful boy to the most pretty girl and and well, dogs by the way and um and it went absolutely very very well and the 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 organizer Pam lovely Pam married to lovely Simon came up afterwards she said yeah it was fantastic I loved it it was brilliant. It might have been it was because I gave her dog a third rosette I didn't give it a first. Because I would get lynched by everybody else in the showground because it's favoritism. You like that, don't you? <laughs> so I gave her the third to keep her there, happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave the second and the first to uh, some children who had cute dogs. So well, it, was, it was good and it went well, except my microphone didn't work. And so I had to just shout. And so by the end of the day, I was completely, completely hoarse. <laughs> so absolutely great. So, uh, um, Brendan, very impressed with your title of Thought for Food. I didn't even get it because it's actually, you may not have seen this, it's a twist on uh, food for thought, actually. It took me 10 seconds. I know. It did take me about 10 seconds to go, oh, oh, that's clever. No, He's I see. He looks, this one. He's it was early on a looks. Sunday morning. I think yes. it was. <laughs> Give you your so, dues. <laughs> so uh, hats off to you, my friend. Thought for Food. I think it's a brilliant. That's a great name for a book, perhaps. So mm. um, absolutely brilliant. So I, I'm, I just want to say this is something that I'm really, really passionate about. 
and I would be happy to answer any questions, but I don't want to bore you because not everybody gets turned on by soil and mob grazing and Alan Savory and Joel Salatin and Gay Brown and all these amazing people and Nicolette Harm-Nyman and what have you. So if we're boring you, please say so and we'll tell some jokes. Ask, oh. And ask, ask a different question. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if we suddenly see loads of new questions come up that are nothing yes, to do so, with yeah. where your food comes from, then yeah. we know that you where want we, something else. <laughs> where were you born? Um, yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Can we like see that. your inside parts? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, I find it difficult to know where to start with this one, Brad. Where, what, what are your thoughts? Talking about um, regenerative agriculture, just to hit the nail on the head. Before we yeah, start. well, I think no, we're also talking about provenance to some degree uh, because, yeah. you know, how many kids still, still to this day, do not know where food comes from you know yeah. milk comes from the supermarket um you know if you're lucky meat comes from the butcher you know it's not not even you know they think they're being clever if they don't say supermarket again when you talk about okay. meat uh and so you know it's like hold on you know we need to really be pushing that it's not just about where does your food come from and having a bit of respect for that environment that they're raised in, mm. but actually how we can make that better, but actually how important it is, um, even for the vegetarians out there. I think, you know, actually this is, this is not just about, are you a meat eater, are you a vegetarian? And, and even for vegetarians out there, I would absolutely endorse that we need to look at high welfare animals being part of, you know, growing the, the earth effectively growing the earth and that's what it's about and and i think that's where we're on the same page isn't it nick you're sure oh yeah totally so for me an ideal uh food production system in the future is going to look a little bit like it was 200 years ago you're going to have lots of small mixed farms they're going to have cows and sheep and pigs and lots of lots of happy free Animals, mostly in the sunshine and with uh, uh, adequate shelter for the, for the winter and trees and, and lots of grass, because there's a lot of land out there. And whether you eat them or not, they are the quickest route to building soil. And the, for me, the key thing is that we have been murdering, degrading, whatever the word. We've been, you know, every 10, 20 years, there's... With modern agriculture, there's a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less soil. And what happens, guys, when you haven't got any soil? Or not even when you haven't got any soil, what happens when you've just got just a crappy layer of dry, sandy muck that you can't grow quality food in? The answer is you're going to get uh, uh, mineral, vitamin deficient because your veggies are not going to be as... Uh, taking up as much goodness from a very biodiverse soil with worms and bacteria and nematodes and viruses and uh, fungi and all these things in them. That's that's how it that's how it, the, the system is designed to be. But modern industrial agriculture, because we 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 non-farmers want cheap food, modern industrial agriculture is saying, okay, 
We can provide you with cheap food and it's called using loads of fertilizer, loads of herbicide, loads of fungicide, loads of Roundup, loads of plowing, because that's the quickest way to get as much weight of food from a certain hectare of land than growing it, than using uh, grazing ruminants to graze, stimulate the grass, poo and pee on the grass to fertilize the grass and engender this, this biodiversity. And whether you eat those animals or not, totally up to you. But I think that they need to be there because let's face it, Mother Nature has been doing it for what, since the dinosaurs went 63 million years ago, she thought, I know, now I'll invent sheep and I'll invent cows and I'll invent pigs and chickens and what have you in order to make the whole thing work properly and as, as, as effectively as possible. So that's a, there you go, I didn't even mean to say that, but that's, that's kind of a little introduction of where I yeah. think we are. And I think it's, very, it's, it's a dire situation because we're running out of soil very rapidly. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a, a little bit of a quip, didn't we, uh, over um, the weekend, we were talking a little bit about how we're going to grow that soil if we can't use animals, you know, and uh, we've mentioned about using human fertilizer, human manure, uh, yes. human manure um, uh, a few few months back. Uh, and actually, you know, as Connor pointed out, and I'll, I'll favor him with this, that actually um, the, the diabolical state of contaminants within our own manure the, of antibiotics, of resistant bacteria, of hormones, of you know chemicals, and all of the other things that actually get flushed down the loo as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, plastics, microplastics, all of that stuff that's going in into that. That actually, we can't lose our shit anymore because at the end of the day, it's, it's too contaminated to put out on the land. You know, yeah. they're sort of in that that scenario. I mean, is that, is that really the truth? Is that where we're at? Do you think the well, only place we can do is to flush it into the channel for the French to deal with? No, I think we could probably, you know, you know what, mate? If we can get a man on the moon, I think we can probably deal with human poo and turn it into something that we can then safely use to fertilise the land. I think that's a brilliant idea. It really, mm. really is a brilliant idea. And... You know, people say to me, oh, well, you lose a bit of soil, then, you know, who what? Who, who, who really gives a damn? I'm just going to give you an example of, of just how much soil is being lost. OK, so this is an example from uh, Matthew Evans. He's written a lovely book called Soil. I will get lynched for that, I know. But there you go. It's a great book. Even though he's an Aussie, for any Aussies out there. I'm teasing you. To... I really like Aussies <laughs> these days. I'm teasing you. OK, so... If you take all the topsoil, which is lost in Australia, which is a fairly big island, but if you take all the topsoil that's lost from uh, wind blowing it off or, or water erosion, um, and you took all of that and dried it and stuck it in those, you know those kind of wagons that, that go through train stations at night, you go one after the other after the other, carrying coal or grain or something like that. You know, do you know those kind of things? What would you call them? Uh, uh, cargo trucks. They're open top mm. so you can dump things in. Mm. So if you took, so each year in Australia, this is the amount of, of soil which is, like good quality soil, which is lost. Okay, so 
you fill up one of those things with whatever, 60, 80, 100 tons, right? And then you go to the next one, you fill that up. And you carry on filling them up until you have a train that will circle the globe every year. This is how much soil is lost every year. It will circle the globe 15 times. Wow. And that's just Australia. Something similar, if not worse, is happening with our friends in the States because they're very keen on producing, you know, maximum, maximum, maximum tonnage of wheat and soya and corn. Uh, and it's happening in Europe. We are not, not really any better because we're all about let grow as much quantity as possible because it then makes cheap food cheaper. But also you've got this commodity which you can turn into uh, pet food. For example, kibble. Okay, Why do you think they love cereals? Because there is an excess of them. You know, the Nestle's, the Mars Corporations, the Eucanerbe, the Procter & Gamble's, would they, out of choice, use really high quality, high nutrient ingredients when they can get away with, because they're in cahoots with AFCO and Fediaf, would they use the cheap stuff or would they use the best stuff? Would they use real meat, even if it's just offcut from real animals that are grown beautifully and happily and slaughtered respectfully, or are they just going to go for the cheapest possible commodity that they can possibly find anywhere on the planet? Have a little think about that one as to which you would do if you were trying to pay your shareholders as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's an indictment, isn't it, of uh, where we're at today, that actually it's, it's more about cost, monetary cost that seems to have importance rather than environmental cost, rather than, you know, cost to health, um, all of those aspects. And, you know, that's just, just the way we hope things will change. You know, um, I think, you know, Charlie Arnott, uh, that you are a great fan of. I think you've got, um, well, I'm in uh, touch, hopefully actually. coming on. Yeah, yes. I think. Uh, Watch this space. Watch this space, guys. So we're going to do a little bit more on this. And, and he's Australian, too. You're going to have another Aussie on. Yes. What's going yeah, on? I'm, so. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not happy with Aussies these days. I've got cousins <laughs> who are Aussies, okay, and have done in Brisbane and, uh, and, and are all around the place. Uh, my best man was an Aussie. Okay, so it's kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. Uh, my kind of my uh, my love hate, but you know, um, I do think they're, they're they are now. I think they are. I'm 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 in awe of Aussie regenerative farmers. I think that they are the cleverest people in the world because they are working in the harshest environments, and they are going to make a, a massive difference to how we get through the next thirty years. I think. I really, really yeah. do. Yeah. Um, somebody say Caroline Brockdorf said why we should go back to the feudal system. What do you think about that, Bren? If you just explain <laughs> the feudal system, if you know, I didn't do history, so I've only got a very, very <laughs> loose <laughs> knowledge. I think we should that. just send her a little link and shall we, shall we see if we can get her on live, see whether she's up for that to explain. <laughs> no, because then it turns into history. I think the feudal system is you have a lord. And then you heard of all the serfs, and the Lord is really healthy, and he eats really well, and all the serfs just eat bread and, you know, the scraps that whatever might be um, might be left over. I think that's the feudal system. Okay, there's a lot more to it. Um, so, what, 
Should it be a feudal system? Yeah, I'm no communist, I can tell you. But I think that if we can all work together and you have a farmer, so it, it, like I say, in an ideal situation, you've got lots of little farms all over the country, all over the states, just like it used to be, all over the UK, just like it used to be, and you knew where you got your carrots and your beef and your chicken and your potatoes and your old-style wheat uh, grains and, and what have you. You knew him because you couldn't, you know, you would only have to travel five or ten miles in order to go to that, to the potato farmer, to the beef farmer, to the whatever, or to the mixed farmer because farms work best. Actually, as, as demonstrated by Joel Salatin in uh, Folk This Ain't Normal is the book, and he just said, look, ours is the most profitable farm in the entire county. We haven't used antibiotics for 40 years. We haven't used a pesticide for 40 years. We haven't used a worm, a chemical wormer, on, the, on any of the animals for 40 years. And he's got the most profitable farm in the region. So it is profitable. People say, oh, we need, you know, farmers need to make money. Yes, they do. But this is just a different way of making money. People say, oh, we need cheap food. And when, when I hear that thing about the cheap food, it's like, OK, in the 50s, we spent 40 percent of our income on food. Now we spend 10 and we whinge if it goes to 11, you know. And I know that there is at the moment that there is a bit of a food crisis and there is definitely an economic crisis. And I'm very sensitive to that. But unless we come together somehow to think very carefully about a positive future. Yeah, it's not the end of the world in 50 years if we do things right. It's a very positive future. If we can uh, get over some of the old thinking and work towards feeding the soil, giving farmers uh, uh, a profitable income. Because the thing about, uh, about conventional agriculture, it's about killing stuff. Herbicides, pesticides, um, uh, plowing. Yeah, it's kill, 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 kill. And then you use artificial input, which companies who make those artificial inputs are very, very happy about because they can sell them to you. And, and, and you then become dependent on them. And you are then in a position to kill, kill, kill more in order to make room for another monocrop. The other thing about monocrops, a monocrop is where you've got all wheat, as far as the eye can see, or all corn, or all soya, or whatever, as far as the eye can see. And nowhere in nature is there a monocrop. And yet we think that's the way to do it. And I really think that that's, yeah. you know, that's and just... And I think it's Doris wrong. has a good point. Yeah, the big farmer... Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, that's a little play on words itself. Very because nice, actually, Joyce. they're the people oh, that actually nice. make all of those fertilizers and you know pesticides and everything else. They're coming into you know exactly what Nick was talking about. Uh, I think we are going to touch on. I love this by Susie Greve, and actually, it's what we can do in our own back garden for growing veggies. And some of us get a bit grossed out by this, but actually. I think if you think about it carefully and you're doing your worm egg counts and you're doing all of your other things and you're feeding healthily, but actually, yeah, recycling this stuff, you know, even the litter, even if it is a gravel or expanded clay, but certainly there's wood pellet and there's other things in, you know, available, even, you know, newspaper pellets now, 
um, the litter, mm -hmm. that all can go in the compost. And actually, yep. if it's composted for a year, you know, you're not having to worry about, you know, oh, it's going to be gross. I'm going to be sort of going through dog poo and the smells and everything else. All of that goes. It just yeah. becomes earth. And yeah. I really like that idea, Susie. Well, well done for you know pointing it out. You know, actually, really nice. Really nice. It is. It is something we should be doing more of. Less poo bags, more composting. I think. Um, although, what would you think? So, come on. What's your take with all of this regen stuff? Yeah. On the composting of vegetable matter and yeah. the impact that has, because I'm sure there's loads talked about. I've come across stuff, so I'm sure you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so one of one of the 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 the, uh, the people who want uh, us all to go plant based to save the planet, um, they say, well, we can make compost and use that to grow soil. And there's a couple of arguments there. Number one is, sheep and cattle are three things. They are grass cutters. They are compost makers, and they are um, um, muck spreaders, all in one go. And you can eat them, and you can make shoes out of them, and you know everything else. So I'd say, in in in, in small scale uh, operations, you can use compost to feed soil. However, soil really loves getting bugs from ruminant guts. And, and it has a very, very healthy, because that's what's happened for millions of years. And so, yep, compost, good. Ruminant, that is to say cattle and sheep, poo, better, I'm afraid. And when it's, when it's um, pummeled into the ground by the animals themselves, because they're mob grazing, we maybe talk about mob grazing, um, I think that that's a really, really uh, uh, good way to do it. You can, the, the compost will maintain pretty good soil, but if you want the best soil, and don't take my word for this, you can read Gabe Brown, Alan Savory, Joel Salton, whoever, there is a lot of work to say the only way really to, to, to rapidly accelerate depth and quality and diversity of soil is by using um, um, grass-eating animals. And the other thing that sorry for going on about this but the other thing that um has he's to not be said, he's not sorry at all i oh, know i'm not sorry 50 percent <laughs> of the planet guys of the the land mass of the planet yeah so this is the dry stuff not the wet stuff 50 percent of the land mass you can't grow crops on but you can grow this stuff called this green stuff called grass and thus you can graze animals on it and derive nutrients and fertility of the soil um, where you can't grow crops otherwise. So it suddenly turns the planet into a much more fecund, a much more, uh, you know, food-rich um, uh, environment. And in the UK, it's even worse. The, the figures I've heard recently is that about 66% of the UK you can't grow crops on it because it's too steep or it's too high or it's too low or it's too wet or it's too dry. And so 66%. Um, so, I, and, and that puts it in context. So, so I think it's, 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 
for me, it's crazy to to uh, not think about how we can use those areas of the country. Mm. Yeah, I you mean, know, I mean, it's, it's madness. We have done it for hundreds and thousands of years. Why don't we just do it again? Yeah, I, I, I also feel you know, there's there is this thing about mixed farm stuff as well that we really need to get to grasp with because there's too many just cattle or just sheep or just chickens um and actually there is uh, that's that great film isn't there on amazon uh on amazon i think it was um uh, with regards to uh it was the one where they are producing uh they end up starting a whole apricot farm and they get somebody in who starts to design stuff for them in a certain way but it just starts to fall apart until they actually discover that they had to have a balance of so many different species, like the ah. ducks to eat the snails off the trees, the, um, you know, and actually allow the gophers to, th to thrive so that actually the coyotes would eat the gophers rather than the ducks, you know, to allow, you know, the, the hawks to be uh, coming in because actually they could have sheep but then they had to sort of follow it on with the chickens and then follow it on with the, the ducks and mm, just, just mm. keep that rotation in. Um, yeah. I have noticed the downside to having goats is that although I try, I'm trying to do that whole mob grazing thing, yeah. unlike cattle, they're just not quite heavy enough to truly crush the ground, to, to mix it up, to make it muddy. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice for the neighbours because they used to hate seeing the ground all churned up. Yeah. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, if you want to build the soil and get the organic matter in, you have to have some degree of churning yeah. uh, in that process. And that's, um, that's an interesting take that I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get the manure, not just onto the ground, but into the ground. No, that is absolutely fantastic. Isabella Tree in the book Wilding, which is kind of 2018 or so, she, they tried to do it with just uh, with just turning it over too too wild, and then they thought, oh, this is not working. So they had to get some sheep in, and then they thought, oh my goodness, this is still not working. Once they got cattle and horses in, um, Exmoors or you know, native ponies, that's when things really started because the cattle, as you say, will will trample, will clear, uh, make clearings will make um, uh, ways through the trees which allow the sheep and um, plants and what have you to to have a kind of circulation so just wilding which is quite a trendy thing at the moment wilding being oh look here's 300 acres let's just walk away and leave it to nature that's not going to do it's not going to transform this side of two, three, four hundred years, it's going to take quite a long time to really get that going because you require ruminants, sheep, uh, or, or, or primarily cattle, or horses actually, they'll probably do quite a good job, to get in there and churn it up. But also uh, pigs. Pigs are really important. They will wreck, absolutely wreck your ground if there's too many pigs and too tight stocking density or they're left for it on, on it for too long. That will definitely ruin your ground. But if you realise it's all about stocking density, which uh, is how many cattle you have per acre, how many pigs you have per acre, 
um, and and also moving them on once they've once they've done what they need to do and with cattle that if you've got quite a tight stocking density that is only two or three days yeah you'd leave them on that they would they would eat a third they'd crush a third and they they'd fertilize a third and then you'd have to move them on you'd leave that for about 70 80 90 days by the time you come back you've fixed a whole load of carbon because grass is, is a massive massive fixer of carbon even more than trees in fact you know everybody's going oh let's plant some trees but actually there's a vast amount of grass out there which is fixing um fixing um carbon through the action of sunlight and nobody's even noticing it it's because it's not being quite managed well do you do, do are you um can you tell us about mob racing versus set stocking? Uh, uh, yeah, Brenda, well, actually, you, there's you... a couple of things that you've raised in what you've talked about just okay. there. And, and I would like to say to Lynn, absolutely right, Dark Emu just sparked one of the memories. I was listening to Ooh. a Charlie Arnott um, episode podcast. 63, I think, of his podcast. Ooh. Oh, so just have a look. Um, and he was talking to uh, somebody who was elderly farmer who'd gone through just looking at the aborigines and what you know what we were doing to our farmland oh, and yeah. how bruce to bring Pascoe. that in bruce pascoe bruce pascoe and who wrote yeah. dark Emu. well done That's the Simmons. so yes, so good. and actually in that podcast he was talking about yeah grasslands can be great you know having the yeah. buffalo in there can be you know, you know would is even better because yeah. Actually, if you just let the grass grow, it fixes the carbon. But actually, then it sets it in a cellulose that can actually take so long to rot down and actually mm -hmm. become good humus as it is. Yeah. But actually, you need an accelerant, and that's yeah. what and that's what the ruminants are. They effectively are an accelerant for decomposition yeah. and producing great humus of uh, you know the humus within the earth to create the organic matter going forward. So that is why there is that essential part. It's not about just letting land go fallow for a rest yep. period. You can't yep. rest land in that way. You actually yep. need to cycle it through. And this is the point of mob grazing, is actually to concentrate the herd for whatever reason. And yep. they used to say that this happened because the predators would concentrate the herd. You know, so if there were wolves or dingoes around and, you know, they could concentrate the, the grazers into an area for mm -hmm. safety's sake, it was actually far more fertile a land than if it was just there were disparate, you know, you've got a low stocking density. That doesn't help. You actually need to take that stock and actually compact them into succinct areas of grazing. Yeah. And then allow them to trample in the, the fecal matter, the, the stuff, so that it's concentrated and then move them on. And that has great um, benefits for controlling parasites. Um, it has great benefits for actually getting that um, organic matter back into the earth uh, as well and actually clearing down. Now, one thing that going back to the horse side of things that I find, because I did actually have a great friend who came on uh, does natural horsemanship and she came onto the land and brought in um, half a dozen horses and what I noticed is oh they're ravenous and oh my god did they they trimmed my grass 
to a centimeter tall. I mean, it was, you know, I was like, whoa, I'm not sure this is too much. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were competing with the goats. The goats were interspersed with them. I was just looking yeah. at that. There was a little yeah. bit of mixing and that was all good and that uh, stuff. But um, I, I think it was, you just got to be watched watch that they don't go too harsh on um on what's going on the horses i mean they were great they'd mow the grass and then the goats would come in and they'd clear the weeds so it's just like um you know at the moment they're big on docks um nettles thistles you know that's what my goats are really going through at the moment you know which is it's just great stuff yeah fantastic it's clear i think i think you'd have to great if you're using horses as, as your main um uh processor of grass mm. which is essentially what they are you would have a different strategy to sheep to cattle yeah sheep might have to have really tight cattle mm. pretty tight horses a little less tight and you might have to only allow you know it depends how many horses you've got if you've got 100 horses you can stick them on 100 acres for five days six days seven days something mm. like that with the with the same land with cattle, you might only be able to get eighty cattle because they're much more destructive of the of that. Whereas with sheep, you may be able to get two hundred on the same sort of thing. So I don't know the figures, but those are the those are the principles. They do they 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 uh, utilize the ground in, in in different ways. And I think as long as you're just canny, yeah. And I love and that's you know something that I've seen just over the last. Um, you know, three years of managing this, really trying to encourage. I encourage some longer grass in various areas and, and uh, you know, the weeds and stuff coming through that people would pull weed because I really want to get the insect life. We've got lots more bats now. We've got, you know, the barn owls that are coming through to eat on the mice that are there because of the insect life that's in, in the ground. Uh, of course, there's rabbits, um, but they're cropping their own right, okay? And I've not gone out and out to destroy them all. You know, you just have to control them by allowing my dogs to eat some. Uh, and, uh, you know, from uh, a point of view of, you know, I think getting the insect life there, and that's something that I've done. I think really trying to get wildflower on. I do no mow may, um, you know, restrict the goats away from certain pasture, um, you know, Get the, the hay crop through has been great just yep. through wildflower development and letting it all bloom. Get the, you know, all of that um, uh, increased insect life. Um, but I mean, we've noticed it. I mean, you can drive down the motorway these days and compared to when you used to get out of the car in the late 70s, early 80s, okay, and your car would be thick on the windscreen or on the front bumper with insects, yeah. you know, or if you dared to have a roof rack you used to have to put something over the over the cases or the bags yep. because otherwise when you open the bags there used to be insects actually in on your clothes um splatted uh but yeah you can pretty much drive you know we drove down to cornwall uh this summer really nice uh really you know nice. that's what two three hundred miles yeah admittedly an electric car and i'm sure the electrics wasn't you know deflecting the, the insect uh but <laughs> There was nowhere near, it was not a film of insects. Yes, there were some, but it was nowhere near the amount that you would remember uh, being out there. So it's, it, you know, we can see that there's a big problem going on. And that's the food for the birds. You know, uh, it's just not there. Great. Thank you so much to our, all our new patrons who have said hello. Um, 
hopefully answered a few questions as well this week. So we're we're in there. So you know, if you've got questions, you want uh, and something for us to talk about, please go on there. So yeah, that's raw pet medics. So patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics, and you will find us there, supporters, and yeah, um, and yeah, it's been great to go through all of this. Yeah, real passion. Very nice. So for those of you who are on Patreon, you can uh, you probably see in the next uh, couple of hours the extra bits, okay? Um, and uh, it's been great to see all of you guys on Facebook. See you again next week. <laughs> Wow. <laughs>